Hello, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, last time I saw you, you were bitter, you were angry, and you, you're still old. So how are you now, though, in terms of those first two descriptors? Still old and just annoyed. <laughs> just annoyed. I want all the chatter to stop. And I, the way I want the chatter to stop is about... 3.30 on Saturday, a resounding victory with both sides of the ball playing well down in Tampa. I'm holding my breath, annoyed until then. Well, that certainly would be a big step in the right direction, though I don't know if that happened, that at 3.30 Saturday we would be confident that at 3.30 the following Saturday we would see a similar effort, and that maybe is the biggest question of them all. Obviously, uh, the body of work is going to be what uh, needs to be taken into account, not just one game. Uh, and I know that doesn't appease a lot of our listeners that are still continuing to be uh, very arguably and understandably upset over events in uh, the Ville. Uh, however, uh, you can only start rectifying this one game at a time. That next game is South Florida on Saturday. We are going to try, at least I am, to look at the glass is half full right now. Are you with me on this? I'm just trying to identify, is it a glass? Is it a mug? Is it a tiny spritzer bottle? Was well, and frankly, if it was half full, we would have drank it by now, right? Well, it depends on what was in it. Exactly. So anyway, it's middle of the week. It was Saturday. Uh, we've had a few days to get this Louisville hangover out of our system or try to, and most of the storylines that we could discuss have already been hashed out. So I will We'll try to look at it uh, from the positive light as we go through this. One of the things that I've learned is that history, history is a great teacher of lessons. So I'll begin uh, this edition of the Front Row with the recalling of a history, okay, a lesson to be learned from history. 1978, Starkville, Mississippi, Florida State playing Mississippi State. We were up 24-21 at halftime. They scored 41 points in the second half. We got beat 55 to 27. They outscored us 41 to 6 in the second half. Absolutely most demoralizing defeat I've ever been associated with high school or college. We proceeded to lose two regular season games over the next three years. If this team, much like that team that I played on, can look and remember the, the absolute agony of the Louisville game, and let that be a motivator, which it was for us, granted, 30-something years ago, different era, I get it. But we never, ever forgot the pain of that last 30 minutes in Starkville for the rest of our careers. And it wasn't personnel changes. We started the same sophomores the next week and proceeded to lose two regular season games in three seasons. Maybe, just maybe, history can teach us a lesson. How far into the season was that collapse against Mississippi State? It was about the fifth or sixth game. It wasn't the third game. So, yeah, there's some differences in, 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 uh, in how you would look at it. But don't mess up my story. I'm not messing up your story. I'm just curious. Okay, thank you. Those of us who weren't around then are, you know, inquiring minds want to know. We don't want to know where you were or what size diaper you had on. No personnel changes. Was that because there were no better alternatives? It was because... That was the best we could put out there, and in that particular game, we got steamrolled. And, so, and and Saturday in Louisville, Florida State got steamrolled. If you've never been in a game like that, if you've never played in a game like that, you can't imagine how completely disorganized, disjointed, and otherwise you get. Now, plenty of reasons and things you've got to correct before you get there, Okay to keep yourself from being in that situation. But once that thing starts going, I mean, how many of us remember the 96 National Championship game against Florida? 
That defense gave up 50-something points. Were we calling for Mickey Andrews' head after that game? No. You, I, I thought that was rhetorical. You want me to speak verbally here. It, is a it was show. rhetorical. No, you can point to other games. Uh, that Did you have to bring up that game, though? I mean, do we want to really relive all of these since 1978? I one can't that remember I, all the one that I didn't think of at the time you and I last chatted was the thirty-one nothing debacle to open the eighty-eight season, which has been pointed out since then. At Miami, Miami Florida State preseason number one, those Knowles responded rather nicely in year two of the dynasty and ran off eleven straight only wins because, after that. Only because we quarantined the rap, we did, we did. So I don't know what the equivalent would be now. Get rid of Showtime? Is that the equivalent right I, now? I didn't say it. The uh, well, well. Let's. I want to go back to the what you mentioned about how there were no personnel changes because as as we look forward, uh, we'll talk about this momentarily. But there's obviously the, the upside to me when you lose like that, or let me rephrase. Let me phrase it this way: If you lose a close game, you're not as apt to really self-examine and make wholesale changes. And I'm not suggesting they're going to make wholesale changes, but when you lose like that, you're examining everything. From what you ate for dinner to what time you ate it to how long practices to who sat where on the plane to should this guy play to how we're teaching, everything is going to be reexamined after a 63-20 defeat. You Would are you? correct. Okay. Hold that thought. We'll get to the personnel discussion. By the way, Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, will join us in our next segment. A, uh, a Noel and a uh, former Tallahassean and former Tallahassee sportscaster, uh, my former boss, as a matter of fact, John Peterson, J.P. Peterson, who's a sports talk guy down in Tampa, will join us later in the show. We'll talk not just USF, also it's uh, FSU Day at the Bucks this weekend to see Jameis play, so we'll discuss that as well. Uh, all that is ahead on tonight's edition of The Front Row. I will remind you that uh, if you're like my partner here, Keith Jones, and you're still too cheap to subscribe to Showtime, you can head on out to Madison Social every Tuesday night. And you will have, uh, in the case of this week, plenty of fellow Knowles to uh, commiserate with as you watch a season with. They've been showing it every Tuesday night at 10. Uh, so that's one thing you can do at Madison Social, but there's plenty to do. Go out there for brunch. Go out there for game watchings. Uh, tell them that Keith and I sent you. I'm not cheap. I'm frugal. Understand. All right. So as personnel changes, can we go to that now or do you want to go somewhere else on this? Do we want to reminisce further about the 78 season and the game, whoever you played the week after Mississippi State? No, let's go to personnel changes. Should there be some? Yes. Where? And 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 let me talk macro and then we'll talk specific. One of the ways you got my club's attention 35 years ago is you dog cussed us and ran us up and down stadiums and all that kind of stuff. You can't do that with today's athlete. We could spend about three other shows about why. The biggest thing you can do with today's athlete is take away their playing time, PT. I sit some people or I demote some people and I bring up some of the youngsters. And one of two or maybe even three things happens. Number one, the youngsters fail and I at least have done it. I can bring the old guys back. Number two, the youngsters perform well and it gets the attention of the old guys and if they want some playing time back, they got to get better. Or three, the young guys play well and the old guys get better. Uh, I think you start at the wide receiver position. I think you start with your wide outs. I sit Kermit. I sit Bobo. I bring the number two guys in. They're going to rotate. They're going to get their playing time. But the young guys start. And don't underestimate the power of being listed as a starter particularly if you're a junior or a senior and you used to be that person. So you're calling for more Auden Tate, which yes. I've been advocating as well, and more Nooney Murray? Yes. 
Okay. Run them in there. Let's, let's, it's baptism by fire. It's time to go. On the offensive line, if, if, if the experiment at right tackle is not going the way you want it, start rotating them. If Bell is, is 60% playing, because I think 60% Bell is better than 95% of anything else you've had at the right tackle. The right guard. Right guard, mean. excuse me. Um, I think you've got to sit down. I don't know how exactly to do this. I'll let the quarterback whisperer do it, i.e. Jimbo. But I didn't like what I saw out of Francois in the third quarter of that Louisville game. I know why he looked like he was lost. I know why he looked like he was shell-shocked because he'd gotten the crap beat out of him. But that's a youngster that you've got to somehow find a way for him to get back to standing tall in that pocket and not collapsing and delivering that ball at the last minute if he has to, like he did in the first two ball games. I'm just fearful, and you've heard Jimbo talk about it all the time, about throwing the youngsters in too early and letting them get shell-shocked. On the defensive side, um, I, I, I don't know what to make of why this team is not performing. I think it's all above the shoulders. And I don't know what needs to be done to find a way to get their attention, but all 11 of them were were scattering like thoroughbreds. I've used this illustration before. People get mad at me. I don't care. We've got too many racehorses. We need a couple of mules on the defensive side of the ball. I know. I was one. Okay, We need guys that can get lined up and get others lined up. We need guys that aren't going to make mistakes after the snap, and we need guys that aren't worried about glory and we'll take care of their assignment and let the big plays come to them. We've, we've got a bunch of guys out there that can run around, and they're fast, and they're strong, and they're big, but they're not playing as a unit. You and I have had that discussion until you're looking at me with the same expression that you're looking at me now. Why are you bringing this up? But you've got to find a way, whatever it takes, to get 11 guys, not the 11 best guys out there, the 11 best football players out there. Or the 11 guys who play best together. Either or. Yeah, what I was thinking, first of all, is uh, I was going to ask you if you feel better because I can see your blood, you, you know, your your temperature's rising, you're getting I felt better again. before I came in. I, I thought we were getting past this. But to your point, because you're athlete, if you're athletic and fast, if you're going the wrong direction, that gets you may- farther away from where you're supposed to go if you go the wrong direction to start with. Exactly. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, Keith Jones, uh, it's fortunate this show is only an hour tonight because if we went a few hours, who knows what level we'd get to with Keith Jones. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, will join us as we continue. Uh, Keith and I will spend all our dissecting. Uh, and remember, our glass is half full right now, not half empty. But we'll continue with the front row after this. Welcome back to the front row. We are going to fire up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together online at www.earlbacon.com. And fortunately, we're going to bring somebody to the airwaves that hopefully will calm Keith Jones down. He's our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Tim, good evening. Hey, what's up, Tom? The blood pressure for my partner, Keith Jones. That's what's up. How about with you? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, just uh, another day getting ready for another game. We started this show today. Liar. We, we started the show and said we were going to be all positive, and then we started rehashing it, and both of us got frustrated. So uh, We're not very mature either. Yeah, but uh, how are you at this point? It's the middle of the week. Uh, please tell me that you're more grounded than us, and you turned the page on Sunday and everything was fine. I mean, I'm doing fine, but uh, I certainly wouldn't tell anybody who is frustrated or who sees some issues that need correcting. 
I wouldn't tell you that you're wrong. Uh, that was a, about as, as bad of a, of a game that we've seen, I mean, gosh, by, by a lot of standards in a, a very, very, very long time. So, uh, yeah, if, if you're upset, uh, I get it. Yeah, well, no no question. And there's there's lots of people who are. So uh, rather than state the obvious, let's let's ask how we uh, – where do we go from here? What's, what's practice been like this week, as best you can tell? I know it's been closed to the media, but uh, what's the word? Uh, as best I can tell, and from talking to everybody, you know, granted, I don't know that they would tell us otherwise, but just watching some of the guys around the facilities and around the Morse Center, it seems like everybody's fairly upbeat. Look, nobody's happy about what happened the other day. Uh, you, you know, you can at least believe that. Like the, the players, you know, they're they're not indifferent to what happened out there. I think they were embarrassed. I asked to Marcus Walker. He was asked what, uh, what what the film review was like. He said it was disgusting. So you know, they're taking it seriously. Uh, I think the you know the real question is. You know, can they can they take whatever whatever they generate in practice this week and, and move it out to the game? You know what concerned me is that everybody to a man said last week that they had a really good week of practice leading up to the Louisville game, and that everybody was feeling good and feeling confident, and everything was sharp and crisp and the way you'd want it to be to going to a game like that. And then for one reason or another, uh, it just didn't translate. So uh, it, it's great, you know, just to hear that guys are, are happy with the attitude and effort and intensity in practice, and that's all that I've been able to tell so far is. is People think that the guys have responded the way you would want them to, but you know the fact of the matter is, after a game like that, I don't know that anybody's going to be feeling great until they actually see it for themselves on the field. Tim, I think it would be fair, and I think it would be fair for Florida State fans in general to say, I'm not interested in what the players say. I want to see what they're going to do on Saturday, period, the end. Oh, absolutely. And again, I think you, know, you kind of lose some of the benefit of the doubt, uh, certainly in a loss like that one. So, yeah, I think there's, there's only so much that – there's only so many ways that, that practice reports and, and, and quotes from players can take you. Uh, to this point, I don't know that anybody's going to be ready to, to you know, buy in and invest from a fan standpoint until they see them come out uh, against the USF team, who, oh, by the way, is, is a pretty strong team. They don't have a Lamar Jackson, uh, but they do have a tough offense and, and some dynamic players who can make some things happen. And as I'm sure you guys have probably touched on, uh, they're 10-2 and two in their last 12 games. So uh, this is a team that can play and and any air of invincibility or intimidation that Florida State might have had going into this game uh, is probably not a factor anymore. That's exactly what I was going to say next. I mean, for Florida State, there's now doubt in their in its mind. And for USF, there's now hope in their minds. Not that they wouldn't have been uh, hopeful, optimistic, excited, but uh, that's, that's ratcheted up after they saw what Louisville did last week, I have to believe. I, I think so. But look, you know, that's that can be sort of a fickle thing as well. If Florida State comes out and plays well from the get-go and establishes themselves as the better team early on, which I think there certainly is the talent and capability there to do so, uh, that dynamic can change quickly. But again, if, if you start the way that you did against Louisville or the way you did against Ole Miss or some of these other games from the last year or beyond, then you're setting yourself up for another uncomfortable position. All right, let's talk specifics about how do you get player attention. Uh, 30, 35 years ago, uh, I, I mentioned in the earlier segment, uh, we would get dog cussed and run up and down the stadium steps. You don't motivate the kids of today the same way. I am of the opinion that the biggest single motivator is playing time. Should there be some personnel changes? Should we see some lineup changes? I think there could be, but I don't know. I'm not sure what you do. I heard you guys on the last segment talking about you know, moving around some receivers and moving around some, some offensive linemen. I would do that to the extent that I, you need to, if you think that there's a guy who can perform better just because, I don't know how effective it would be necessarily as a, as a motivator because 
I think to a large degree, and then this isn't exactly super insightful analysis, a lot of their problems just come down to playing better. And, and we've seen guys you know, mix in there, and we saw some different players against Louisville. Uh, I think if there was a magic solution of just you know, putting a guy in, that, that they would have, would have had it already. Uh, I, I almost wonder if it's just, again, not to, not to belabor an obvious point, but it, you, they just need to play better across the board. When you, when you lose the way that they did on Saturday, uh, I mean, you're talking about a breakdown at multiple positions across multiple spots on the depth chart, and it really was a, a collective where everybody got to share in some of it. So I, I don't know. The motivation thing is a weird deal to me, man. Uh, I mean, if you go back to last season, 2014, even in, you know, in my opinion, some of the 2013 season, uh, they haven't done a very good job of starting games. Uh, and you know, they have slow starts and, and comebacks in the second half. And as exciting as those are, you see what happens. And Jimbo Fisher said it in his press conference on Saturday. You play with fire uh, if you do that enough times. And, and we saw that on Saturday. And it's something that I mean, they've got to figure out a way to break out of that habit. Well, one thing they could do offensively, is they could run DeAndre. I mean, they have the he has the ability and they have the ability if they wanted to do some option, whether it's traditional option, zone read, designed runs uh, outside of scrambles, which is really what his only rushing attempts have been. Do you see them going to that this week? I think they could. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if the Jacquez Patrick maybe get a few more touches. I thought he looked pretty good uh, against Louisville. And, and regardless of how Dalvin Cook's performing, I think getting some more balance in the running game would probably be a good thing. And Cook has a, or excuse me, Patrick has a skill set that uh, that would be, uh, I guess, complementary to what Dalvin Cook can do. I think that running DeAndre Francois, giving him some design runs, is an option. But I mean, when's the last time that that was a real aspect of Florida State's offense? I think you'd have to go back to you know, Christian Ponder at least. So you know, while you and I can can look and see that that's an option, and I think that it is, I, I'm not sure how quick Jimbo Fisher is going to be to implement that. Well, the counter to that would be when's the last time FSU lost sixty three to twenty. That is a that is a fair question. That is a fair question. I you know, and do you want to jump in, Keith, or you just I think uh you know, you know you've had all the same conversations this week that we've had. Uh whether it be about uh Dalvin or the quarterback or the offensive line or should Auden Tate get more time or defensively uh the issues there. There's a lot of talent on that defense. But does the defense overall need to be simplified to maximize what they have there? Because there, a confusion seems to reign supreme right now. Oh, that's a good question. I, it, it's hard for me to say. It's hard to know exactly what they're they're teaching guys from that perspective. Whether or not it needs to be simplified, um, I, I will say. You know, I, I give at least look. You can roll your eyes if you want. I do give at least some benefit of the doubt that there's never a good time to give up 63 points, but. If you look across college football with with the type of offense that, that Louisville runs or, or that Ole Miss runs, the, the hurry up, no huddle with the spread, nobody can stop those offenses in college football. Uh, if, if you have talented guys at the quarterback position, I mean, you see what Oregon was able to do, Ole Miss can do it, Louisville obviously can do it. I mean, we saw Jeremy Pruitt's defense at Alabama. They couldn't stop Ole Miss last week. Uh, and, and so I, I would, not to say that Florida State's defense doesn't have some issues that need correcting, because they do, uh, but I... I view it through the lens of we're sort of in this weird cycle of college football where I think offenses are pretty ahead of defenses, and defenses, you'd like to think at some point, will catch up and figure something out. Uh, maybe when they allow them to start playing with 12 guys. I don't know. But, but for all that said, they, they do need to figure out some things. And maybe, maybe it is a simplification of, look, you have a man, chase him around as much as you can. Uh, and, and maybe that's part of it. But for now, it's, 
I mean, I almost wonder if we're just sort of in a weird spot where you can do the best you can and, and get back to your fundamentals, and that would help. But and those offenses, are the way they run, they're going to get their yards, and they're going to score some points. Well, simplifying, uh, obviously, if you're going to have players that are playing dumb, then you've got to dumb down what you're playing. And, and I think simplification is a first step. Uh, but the, the bigger part for me is just the overall lack of focus and lack of attention that I see, uh, particularly on the defensive side. And, 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 Tim, we've been at practice. I've seen practice. Uh, these kids are not like this during practice. I, I I don't know if it's the national scope of the games that they're playing in. I don't know if it would make any difference if we ha- if we played it at three thirty on no television. Uh, I, I don't know, but there, there's there's a, just a huge disconnect uh, between what the kids are showing in practice and then what they're replicating in the game based on what I've witnessed. I agree completely, and it's. I mean, honestly, Keith, it's a, it's a mystery. I know that's, to me, I don't I know that's not a very satisfying answer, but I, I have to think at this point that the coaching staff might be a little bit perplexed by it because it's been an issue for long enough. Again, taking it back to the way they, they've sort of looked, I mean, almost lackadaisical or, or in a fog to start some of these games going back a year or two. I, I think if there was an obvious fix for it, it would be fixed by now. I, I don't know the answer. All I, all I can say is that it needs to get fixed because there are some challenging games left on this schedule and in Florida State still has a lot of good things in front of it, but it can also go pretty sour if they, if they can't get those issues correctly. You, you don't want to go down 14 points at USF. The biggest biggest fix is to buckle up that damn chin strap and get after somebody from minute one. Hit something, even if it's the wrong thing. Well, sure, and that doesn't require a simplification, right? Uh, just just bringing like an attitude and intensity, it, it doesn't seem like it's there. It's, I mean, it's almost... You know, you want to take every game, you know, the idea of being business-like and, and, and have a calm approach and, and just, just play... But, you know, if you don't have any energy or, or intensity, and it seems like in some of those games that's been the case, I mean, it's, it's an emotional game, as the, as the cliche goes. And, and not here's, the word, here's the word, urgency. This week yeah. is about urgency. Well, the good news is I, you know, it's not going to take long to figure out what's changed this week because well, I think we'll know early on you know, what practice was like this week and whether or not that sense of urgency has set in. And, and it's a shame that it, if, if it comes to that, it's a shame that it took losing – the way they did on Saturday to install that sense of urgency, but that's better than the alternative of, of still not having it. Hey, Tim, you are our Seminoles.com insider, and uh, there's other things to talk about. The soccer team won. The women's basketball schedule is out. What else you got on Seminoles.com right now? A lot of stuff in that regard. Uh, like I said, uh, soccer has a really big weekend. They have Wake Forest coming up in the number two Virginia top five matchup there. Uh, also, you may have noticed that fall baseball is getting going. Talked to Mike Martin yesterday, and uh, you might imagine he's pretty upbeat, disappointed with the way last season ended, of course. But when you look across the roster, they have all three starters from last year's weekend rotation back and some pretty promising guys uh, in that, as well as some key contributors in Cal Raleigh, Dylan Busby, Taylor Walls, and then Drew Mendoza, who, if I've heard one person say that he could be the best one to ever come through here, he's a, he's a freshman, he's either going to be a shortstop or a third baseman. Uh, I've heard probably three three or four guys say if he gets everything he needs to do and 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 improves the way you expect over his career, uh, he could be one of the best players to ever come through here. So a lot of optimism over at, at baseball. I know it's a long way off, uh, but they're feeling pretty good about things over there as they start their fall schedule. I'm just going to uh, affirm from where I said that Keith Jones is feeling no better right now than he was on Saturday after the game based on the expression on his face. But uh, thank you for trying anyway, Tim. We appreciate we'll, it. We'll see what we can do in Tampa between now and then, all right? <laughs> all right. He's our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Lunefeld. 
Thank you, Tim. Am, am I overstating things, Keith? Uh, maybe a little bit. I'll, I'll calm down. It'll be okay. It'll okay. Be okay. All right. Uh, we will uh, discuss Saturday's game. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. Uh, in greater detail when J.P. Peterson joins us uh, in a couple of segments. But for now, we'll step aside. We'll take deep breaths. And we'll continue on this therapeutic edition of the Front Row. Stay with I'll us. Come on. Keith, you remember over the summer when it was early July and we couldn't wait for football season to get here? Oh, boy. How you feeling right now? Yeehaw. I was just checking. All right, let's uh, continue our conversation. Uh, we were up against it at the end of the first segment there, and we sort of rushed through some suggested uh, personnel changes. I didn't get a chance to weigh in. I would agree that we need to see more Auden Tate offensively. I think you're going to see Brock Rubel at right tackle. Uh Probably as the starter. I don't know that, but certainly more because Rick Leonard has not worked out there as well. I'd call it a coin flip with Wilson Bell and Landon Dickerson. Long term, they like Dickerson much better. I can tell you that. Short term, I don't know where they'll go. Uh, I do think you'll see the quarterback run, and I don't know specifically how that'll be, whether it's just moving the pocket, but also some design runs. And I'm not talking about 20 carries or whatever Lamar Jackson had, but more. No, and if you don't want to go the read option, that's fine. But, you know, roll him out some. You Use the waggles and bring out a personal protector with the backside guard. You know, just do some things to get his feet, DeAndre's feet moving and and, and moving around so that he, he, he can get set and try to find a receiver down the field. It You know, it's very simplistic to, to take the ball out of the shotgun or to do the five- or seven-step drop and go through your progressions. Uh, but he's an athlete. So let's do some things that accentuate that athleticism and then overlay that with his ability to throw the football. And at the same time, when you move that pocket, you're, you're doing and disrupting those rushing lanes and giving your offensive guys a little bit of a, of a head start or a little bit of a help, uh, particularly when they're getting bull rushed right over the top of them. Defensively, trying to think of where you go there, because again, there's a lot of good parts, but it hasn't played that well. So uh, I, I, I challenge some players. I challenge some players. I know he was hurt, and I don't know the significance of it. But but Josh Sweat has not done anything through three ball games this this year. I don't know if it's because he's lazy. I don't know if it doesn't if he doesn't care. There's been times when he chooses to exert himself when he plays very well, but he does not do that with enough consistency in any way, shape, form, or fashion. To, to please me. Uh, I would continue to experiment with the young guys at the star. And, and even if, if I got to move Marquez back to the safety to help out along with Nate and play both of the young guys at the corner, um, I would challenge coach Kelly to let's be a little, you know, I know they've been aggressive, but let's be a little bit more simplistically aggressive. Let's run some man under man coverage underneath with a safety over the top just to protect uh let's let's do some of the rushes we saw louisville do where both linebackers go through the a gap and not one linebacker and one drop it uh let's take some calculated chances and see if we can't uh will this group into being more aggressive and paying attention to what they're doing yeah there'll be some downside uh, and they'll give up some big plays but guess what (laughs) <laughs> we're giving up big plays already. Let's do something different from everybody's perspective on the defensive side, and let's see what happens. 
I think at the linebacker spot, the younger guys are coming along a little bit more. Now, I'm not saying you're going to see a ton of them this weekend, but I think as the season wears on, you will see more of, of, of Emmett Rice and some of the others there. Matthew and the, Thomas and the reason you haven't the, played them is because they, they're not as equipped with the sophistication. Right. All right, so we're going to dumb it down a little bit and, and bring it back to a level where there's a, some, some uh, confidence that they can do seven things where maybe they can't do 12 things. I thought Wally Ami played well last I week, he did as and, well. and reports were that Derek Nottie was in a boot earlier this week, and they've said it's no big deal. But regardless, I could make the case that Wally Ami could get a few more reps in there. Although, uh, if you dig deeper, none of the D tackles had great gap control, which which goes to the bigger point of you got eleven guys on defense, and every play last week, nine or ten of them are trying to make a hero play instead of doing what they're supposed to do. And now let, let's be fair too. Florida State, given the way Jackson performed, Florida State did not deserve to win that ball game Saturday, even if they had played well. I mean that that was a performance. Yeah, by we, Jackson. we probably should have started the show by by not slighting Louisville and Lamar Jackson. I thought that was. I mean, if Florida State plays well, that's a forty two thirty eight loss. I mean, you don't give up sixty three, but you given up forty two. I mean, Alabama gave up forty two or forty five. Uh, but it's still a loss. That's how good Lamar Jackson was on that given Saturday in Louisville, Kentucky. What we're frustrated with is how poorly we looked. I'm not saying we'd have won that ball game. In fact, I'm telling you we wouldn't have won the ball game. But it would have been a little nicer to have experienced. So before we bring J.P. Peterson on next segment, does Florida State find the on switch this week? Do they recover? It's like you and I talked about after the Ole Miss game. Florida State played horribly in the first half. They go in at halftime, adjustments are made. A switch was thrown. They played multiples better. What that tells me through three games, as I look at the Louisville game, it's still everything above the shoulders. It's not talent. It's not speed. It's not size. It's not even scheme. It's above the shoulders. Well, Tom, you can fix above the shoulders overnight. That light can come on quickly. My frustration is trying to prescribe a way to get the light to come on because these kids are so much different than they were 30 or 35 years ago. You can't treat them the same way. Well, you have to believe that that's the frustration of the coaching no staff, question. too. These are not dumb coaches. No they didn't, question. They didn't forget they didn't football. Get, they didn't get stupid overnight. Yeah, they didn't forget football overnight. They, they know what they're doing. Somewhere it's not translating the way they would like, so I'm sure they're looking all over for – for button, you know, I, I've told this story before. It re, it's not a football story. It relates to baseball. Nineteen ninety seven, J D Drew's monumental year. He wasn't having a good preseason. Yep, the light switch story. You, you're you're doing the hand motions, and Chip Baker said something to him about it. And J D and his hey Hira Georgia draw said, "Don't worry, I'll be there." Kind of thing. So Chip installed a, a fake light switch in his locker. And uh, every game that season in, in 97, before he went to play, J.D. Drew would flip the switch up during the game. And as soon as the game was over, he'd flip it down. He never said one word to Chip Baker about it. And lo and behold, he had one of the greatest seasons in college baseball history. So maybe somebody should put a light switch in there and see if the guys will flip it. Not a bad idea. All right. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We are uh, still commiserating, still trying to go through our therapy. Uh, J.P. Peterson is going to join us next. And hopefully that will lift our spirits when we continue here on the front row. Stay with us.
back on the front row. Thanks for tuning in. We're with you every Wednesday at 6. Don't forget, uh, you can hear our recap of the Saturday game with Wake Up Knowles. That is uh, Sundays at 9 a.m. Primetime Knowles is Sundays at 7 p.m. We're going to bring back uh, a Tallahassee, Florida State legend at this point who now has become a Tampa legend. I pulled out this press release on his latest stop. And, JP, it's it's longer than our show is, so I can't read it all as we go uh Back to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, uh, ensuring your future together online at www.earlbacon.com. Let's say hello to J.P. Peterson. J.P., how are you? I'm well, sir. And please, please don't read that. It's all lies. Well, well, not all of it because I, I had. There's a part in there. There's a part in here. I, I had forgotten you used to work with 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 Gino on the basketball broadcast, which That's Keith right. now does. You and, had the seat before I had it, and you used to do the pregame <laughs> radio with, uh, before I did. So Keith and I would both like to thank you for leaving town. Very much. Okay. Keith, are your ribs as sore as mine were after the game? I mean, you know, nobody knows this, but Deckerhoff boxes out better than any Florida State center. I, I moved three feet away from him after about four <laughs> minutes into the ball game. As you know, no, that's not true. I mean, he's so he's so animated that he's throwing bows while he's doing the commentary. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Well, he's a basketball guy at heart, back from his JUCO days over in Jacksonville. Well, JP, uh, I I was on your show earlier today in Tampa, and uh, as you can tell, we're still uh, getting over things. I'm sure it's the same for you there, but I I wanted to bring you on to talk more about the USF perspective because I have to believe that USF felt maybe they were lying in wait uh, anyway and could catch Florida State, and now they have to truly believe, after watching what happened last week, that they can spring the upset this week. Oh, there's no doubt. This is a program that is is just chock full of confidence right now. And, uh, you know, Marlon Mack, their back, uh, was a little nicked up earlier in the year, and they kind of saved him against uh, Syracuse. Uh, So he's he's healthy, and he's an NFL running back. This is the guy that's going to be taken in the league. And they've got a couple of guys behind him that aren't so bad either. Um, And their their quarterback, Quentin Flowers, now has really gotten a hold of this Willie Taggart offense, and they're, they're clicking on all cylinders. And you know, I went back and watched a little bit of the tape from last year's game, and, you know, that was a 7-7 game at halftime, and I, I wouldn't give an edge to either one of the teams along the trenches, which is, you know, obviously so important in games like this. Um, and Dalvin Cook was the difference in that game in the second half, and I think uh, Augie Sanchez, their, one of their best defensive players, got kicked out of the game. So USF is just, they're, they're convinced that they can not only hang with Florida State, but they can, they can split, uh, get the upset. JP, talk about this Taggart offense. We, we, we have seen other teams in the ACC go up-tempo. I'm not sure anybody goes as up-tempo as consistently as the Bulls do. Yeah, and, that, you know, and that's because Quinn Flowers now has a good grasp of that offense, and he's, and he's got some weapons. And, uh, you know, and Willie's had – I think it's about now that he has his players and the guys that he wants to execute his particular system. And um, they've done a really nice job. You know, at the end of the year last year, they, they kind of flipped it last year when they played Syracuse, and they went on a run at the end of the season that um, they didn't win their bowl game, but they started to play really good football. And, and right now, I, I think this is the best I've seen South Florida look in a long time. They will go tempo. And as you know, Keith, Florida State really struggled with uh, Ole Miss's tempo in that first half, uh, and they were going about as fast as any team I've ever seen. Um, and so, yeah, they, they, you know, Florida State has to figure out how to uh, adjust to that tempo. And one of the things Taggart offense does is they work the outside. I've never seen a team run so many jet sweeps in my life than USF. Yeah, this is a, this is a staple of their offense. And, um, you know, I, I think when Florida State is going to be challenged on the perimeter, there's no doubt. And, you know, it's assignment football, much like we saw last week. Now, 
The good news is uh, Quentin Flowers probably runs the 40 in about 4-9 as opposed to 4-2 that we saw from Lamar Jackson. So, and he's not as much a runner as, as he likes giving it to his backs and his wide receivers on the jet sweep, and they've been, they've been very successful. It's going to be, you know, again, discipline is going to be the watchword for the Florida State defense to, to handle all the misdirection in the jet sweeps. What about the USF defense? I'm looking at who they've played this year, Towson, Northern Illinois, Syracuse. And we learned a lesson last week. Don't uh, pay attention to who they've played already because Louisville hadn't played anybody. But uh, right. round out, uh, what's the rest of the scouting report on USF, JP? Well, um, we, you know, when you look at Syracuse, that's kind of a, the, the a opponent that I looked at to kind of get a measuring stick. I mean, they're not very good, but it gives you kind of a feeling of where USF is at. And they went down, I think, 17 nothing in that game and came back and just rolled them. Uh, Northern Illinois is, is a decent football team, as, as Florida State knows. They, they saw them a few years back. Um, they're a decent football team, and they've got some good players, and they just dominated Northern Illinois as well. So this defense uh, with Augie Sanchez, and you know, they're, again, they've got some experience on this defense. They know what they're doing. They've got some size up front. Um, you know, I think Florida State really is going to want to run the football and, and kind of control the game in that way with Dalvin Cook and uh, and maybe we see a little bit more Jacquez Patrick. I don't know. Um, if, if, you know, Tom and I, you, we talked about it on our show today, you know, what's up with Dalvin? That's what everybody in Tampa wants to know as well. And, you know, we, we're going we're gonna to see probably a highly motivated Dalvin Cook. And here's the other thing, guys. It is going to be hot as you know what um, come noontime. I mean, we're talking about a field like temperature well over 100 degrees. So conditioning and depth is going to play a big part in this football game. Plus, we saw in the Ole Miss game that that was the equivalent of a, of a Florida State home game. That won't be the case in Raymond James. Uh, USF folks will be out in full force. You know, I, I tell you what, Keith, my guess is it's going to be about 50-50. You know, USF does not draw here at all. I mean, you know, they've got a core of about 25,000 fans, and that's it. And, you know, in games like uh, Towson, I, there was probably – maybe 12,000 actual bodies in the stands, they don't draw real well. So I would not be surprised if it's 50-50 or even 60-40 Florida State. I mean, there's We'll a- take whatever advantage we can get, brother. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's going to be, an, you know, that'll be an advantage for Florida State. But I think, you know, this is a game that's going to come down to the fourth quarter. And I think one advantage Florida State has is they, they, want, they want a game like that in the opener. And I think conditioning was a big part of that second half comeback um and i think that the the team that can shuttle guys in and out in the first half and still remain uh quality especially on the defensive side um depth is going to be a, a huge huge advantage here and i think florida state may have a little, little bit of an advantage there jp just to set the record straight according to the statistics there were thirty five thousand nine hundred and seventy six at that towson game <laughs> <laughs> i wish I wish I had a dollar for every one of them there, but that wasn't that wasn't the case, partner. That's, that's announced ticket. There were some ghosts on that ship, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, they were they were all spent a lot of time in the bathroom. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> hey, let's let's switch gears because it's actually FSU weekend at the Bucks uh, this Sunday as part of what what yeah. hopefully is a big Florida State weekend because last weekend certainly wasn't, and that extended to Tampa Bay and uh, Jameis and the Bucks. Uh, you know, last week was not a performance to remember, but I have to think that opening with two games on the road, the best really Tampa Bay could have hoped for was to be one and one right now as they get their home opener. Yeah, they're all they're actually pretty excited that they're one and one. Um, and you know, last week it's one of those games in the NFL that just kind of gets away from you, um, and it got had a little snowball roll, and that was a ten nothing game 
with about a minute 30 left in the first half. And the Bucks gave up two kind of cheap, and I won't say cheap scores, but uh, they gave up a couple of quick scores and, and the game was over. Uh, James had a great week one. He was phenomenal. His offseason has been unbelievable. He's really single-handedly changed the culture of this franchise. And I, I'm not, that's not hyperbole. It's been amazing what I've seen in just one year, the transformation of competitiveness, accountability. And Jameis has been the spear of all that, pardon the pun. And he had a great game one at Atlanta. Last week, um, he got a little too aggressive, which, of course, you all know all too well about Jameis. And, you know, when he gets behind, you know, he does not like to lose, and he kept pressing the issue. And he did not get a lot of help from his teammates. Of the four interceptions, I'd say um, two, one and a half were his fault maybe two, uh, but he's playing well. He's got, um, you know, they've got to get a, a better performance from their receivers than they did last week. And against the Rams team that can't, <laughs> cannot find the end zone, can't score, I think he'll do all right. JP, we appreciate the insight. Uh, thank you for the warning about the heat that's expected. I may do the oh. sideline reports from the locker room this weekend. I may wear shorts. I highly, highly recommend it and start hydrating now. <laughs> all right. And not with Budweiser. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of counterproductive. J.P. Peterson, uh, my former boss back in the day. Good to talk to you, and I'll see you on Saturday, J.P. Hey, great chat with you guys, Tom. He's really appreciated. You bet. All right, thank you so much. J.P. joins us uh, via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, ensuring your future together online at www.earlbacon.com. We both found more work thanks to him leaving town. Very much so. We need to send him another thank you card. We're appreciative. (laughs) We'll come back and wrap up the front row right after this. All right, just a few more minutes to the top of the hour as we wrap up on this week's edition of The Front Row. Thanks to Tim Linnefelt, our Seminoles.com insider, also J.P. Peterson from down in Tampa. I usually see him once or twice a year, generally on the sideline at the FSU Florida game and uh, secondarily on the sideline at the FSU Miami game is where I typically run into J.P. Great guy, has has developed a a great audience down in Tampa, did a great job here in Tallahassee. Uh, It's always good to hear from him. He's, 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 as we say, he's one of the good guys in this business. No question about it. Uh, Talking about those Jameis stories, I, I don't know if I've shared this over the airwaves or not. I know I've relayed it to you probably in passing, but uh, everybody has Jameis stories from his time here. And, you know, he comes back and he's on the sideline at Ole Miss and boom, he's in the Showtime show because he's talking to the team at halftime. Uh, and I'm bringing this up because to me, there's still Florida State still needs to identify more leaders need to emerge on this current team. And part of that would be true regardless. Part of that's magnified because the last guy who was the leader of this team was, uh, you know, to the nth degree. And I'm talking about Jameis. So he goes unbeaten during his career until the Rose Bowl. And I don't remember what the score was, but this was before Jameis had been pulled from the game against Oregon. So it had to be 50 to 20 or whatever that final score was. 10 minutes to go in the game, 8 minutes to go in the game. I remember this distinctly. I don't, I don't have a picture of it anymore because I looked back. He was on the sideline, and he was undressing, and at the time they were youngsters, but it was Travis Rudolph, Kermit Whitfield, Dalvin Cook, and Bobo Wilson and it was uh you know the sad look in their eyes because they're losing a game and they're getting humiliated and Jameis was lighting them up about never quitting this is Florida State 
Get that look off your face. There's still time left in this game. And the score was every bit as lopsided as what it was this Saturday against Louisville. And I'm making this to say there wasn't anybody on the sideline at Louisville sharing a similar message. Well, the coaches were. There were the no, coaches. There were. were no players because if you've seen the Showtime part, and even though I haven't seen it, I do get the trailers. I watch the free stuff, Tommy. I did, told you I'm did not you cheap. recognize that I'm voice not that cheap. made an appearance? How for about like six that? One, one, one yeah. Thomas Block in there. I, I had to send him my address. I'm not sure what the royalties are on six seconds of audio only, but I'm hoping it's like a nickel. Maybe. Do not discontinue your contribution to your 401k. Thank you. Good tip. <laughs> but. It, the, the trailer that I saw that I get for free because I'm not cheap, but I am frugal, both Jimbo and Coach Kelly, their message was ignore the scoreboard. Ignore the scoreboard. Don't pay attention to the score. Play the next play. And, again, that goes back to Jimbo's overriding theme when he became head coach at Florida State about the process. If you take care of the process, the scores, the wins, et cetera, will take care of themselves. They've gotten away from the process which is assignment football, doing what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, and being accountable. This is an opportunity Saturday against South Florida to get back to that winning way, beginning with the process, i.e. ignoring the individual goals and taking care of your specific responsibilities within the framework of the team. That has to be the first step as this team rebounds from a very humiliating loss, in my opinion. I shared that story really twofold. It just magnifies or cements, you know, when you hear JP talk about how Jameis has changed the culture of an NFL team in one year. Well, that's that's what he did on the sideline and, and uh, on the team at Florida State, uh, but also because there, it is a team that, that needs to see some more leadership. And granted, defensively, one of the key leaders in Derwin James is out. Uh, DeMarcus is certainly going to do his part. It'd just be nice to see some other guys uh, become more vocal and, and well there's a leaders. void there there's a void there there's an opportunity for some guys to step up and assume that leadership responsibility because it will make them better football players and back to the age-old thing we know they can run fast they lift a lot of weights they're tall they weigh a lot they're big but they've got to become football players there's a distinct yet very 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 important difference between being a great athlete and being a great football player i was not a great athlete and I'm not going to tell you I was a great football player, but I was a very good football player because I minded my P's and Q's. I played assignment football, and I didn't worry about glory. And what happened? Had a whole lot of glory because the rest of my teammates made me that good. Well, you were a better football player as the years go on. I mean, there's no question about that. Every year, you That's got a, a whole little... different discussion. <laughs> I think what you're pointing to is maybe the biggest question that's out there of all the questions that can be posed. Because Jimbo preaches process so much, how is it that the process is not being followed? Where, where, is, the, where is the disconnect? And that's the, the key to finding the correction and riding the ship for 2016. Yeah, no question. So they'll try again uh, starting Saturday against uh, USF. Do we feel better now, Keith? I feel better now. We talked it through. I feel better now. We, uh <laughs> Exactly. We'll see how we feel at three thirty on Saturday, right? We'll hold our. We knew it'd be interesting. We'll I, hold our breath and cross our fingers. I, and I think you know we want to see the process, and uh, you know most Florida State fans would tell you that they want to see the result too and have it all be wins. But I think at this point, I would settle for the uh, the sum total being greater than what the individual parts are because right now the individual parts are are not adding up. Show me a team effort. I don't want to, I'm not interested in individuals. Show me a team effort and and let's let's win or lose as a team, not as a bunch of individuals. You feel okay about Saturday? I feel marginally okay. 
<laughs> That's about where I am as well. Uh, all right. Well, one way or the other, we'll rehash it on Sunday at 9 on Wake Up Knowles. Also, primetime Knowles Sunday at 7. And then uh, we'll beat a dead horse again next Wednesday at 6, right? Unless it's a mule. Unless it's a mule, which you were calling for more of. He's Keith, and uh, I'm Tom, and we've still got a minute. What would you like to talk about? Uh, the soccer team is performing very well, <laughs> and there's high hopes for baseball. There is high hopes for baseball. There's also high hopes for uh, men's basketball as some of those preseason rankings come out. Not that we can get into that full discussion. Very, right very now. excited about it. I think the Isaac kid, uh, by all accounts early on, is everything they expected him to be. Uh, Bacon, a, a year older, wiser, bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, if we can get... Uh, uh, you know, uh, other kids assuming their bigger roles and their more specific roles, then yes, basketball could very be very, very exciting in 2016-2017. Uh, All right, be that as it may, if we're talking basketball in September, something has gone horribly wrong. We've lost 63-20 to 20 to Louisville. Exactly right. And, uh, and you leave Louisville, and they're more excited about football than basketball, which was the case last week when we departed the Ville. Well, all I know is that Jackson is appearing on the cover of Sports Illustrated this week, and it's the first time a Louisville University of Louisville football player has appeared on the cover. You and I went to the Muhammad Ali uh, Shrine Museum or whatever. It had about 30 covers of Muhammad Ali. Let's hope this kid doesn't get to 30 before everything's he's, done. He's pretty doggone good. All right, we're out of time. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. 